0: Good morning, it's good to see you guys, welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt, I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast and I'm just excited to have the chance to share with you. Uh, This weekend I also want to welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses. Uh, We've got 12 locations all around the state of South Carolina, North Carolina, we're glad that you're here. In fact, last week I was at Spoleto doing one of the children's uh, events that they were doing on a Saturday morning and a young couple came up and introduced themselves to me uh, from the Greenville campus and just were glowing and beaming about how their lives have been so impacted and changed at Seacoast Greenville. And so Pastor Ross White, you and the team doing a great job up there. And I just love the fact that we're one church in many locations. It's just a cool, uh, cool concept that we can all be sort of on the same page. Also want to welcome those of you on the internet. We're glad that you're part of the church family as well. And uh, we're we're just excited to have you guys along for the ride. We're in the middle of a series right now uh, that we're calling The Elephant in the Room. And uh, you guys know kind of the concept, an elephant in the room is something that is there, but no one really likes to talk about it or acknowledge its existence. And uh, this series has been about generosity. And uh, you may go, well, why is generosity an elephant in the room? And for, for whatever reason, churches has, have often just struggled uh, to talk about money well. Sometimes they, they're afraid to talk about money. I know we at Seacoast, from the very beginning, did not want money to be a barrier for people coming into church. So we've always Wanted to be sensitive about that. We have offering boxes at the back. It's a, it's a low-pressure environment. But the problem is that the way that we handle our finances is a discipleship issue. Jesus talked about it. The Bible talked about it a lot. And so we're just putting it on the table. And some ground rules for the series, uh, just if you're, if you're catching up, this is week three. Uh, we, we've spent the first week talking about God's heart, uh, how God's a giver, not a taker, and we're supposed to be like him. Last week, Pastor Greg talked about the benefits of generosity. And uh, if if you haven't been here, you need to know a couple things about the series. This series is about what God wants for you, not what God wants from you. Uh, so that this isn't about a manipulative deal. There's no, uh, the, the church is not in a bad position financially. We're not uh, going to ask you for a big offering at the end of the series. We're not, you know, th- there's nothing to do with any of that. We just want to talk about what God's word says about money so that we can be uh, operating as he, as, he, as he talks about it. It's a, it's a discipleship issue, and we just want to put it on the table. And so uh, that's what we're doing, and uh, it's been really cool. Last weekend at the West Campus, uh, a woman came up to Pastor Ron at the end of the service, and uh, she said, Pastor, I'm, I'm so excited about this. I love what uh, the benefits of generosity and what's happening at Haiti, and I'm committed to be an even more generous person. She said, but what I need to do first is I need to get my financial house in order. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good uh, statement, and it's a pretty... Practical reality for all of us, you know that many of you are like her. You've you've been stirred. God's kind of stirred your heart, and 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 you want to be more generous. But the reality is that there's a a not much margin financially. Maybe you're strapped, and and so I want to talk about that issue this weekend. I need your participation, though. How many of you guys would say uh, that a little more money would make your life a little bit better? Show of hands at all of our campuses. How many of you guys would say? That's the case. Most hands going up. If a hand didn't go up, uh, that's the person you need to talk to after service about, you know, whatever you need. Uh, but, but yeah, all of us, all of us would probably agree with that statement. And, and the truth is, most of us have done some stupid things with our money. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, most of us have made bad mistakes as we've kind of been coming along the way. I know I've made many of them, uh, bad mistakes financially, not proud of them. Uh, but, but one of them that came to mind was a, a bad mistake that I made financially in 2003, about 10 years ago. Uh, many of you know that, that I'm a diehard Cubs fan. I love the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we've had a bad century. Everybody has a bad century <laughs> every now and then, you know, and we're, we're, we're in the middle of that. But 2003, I thought that was our year. The Cubs had made the playoffs, and uh, they were playing in Atlanta. And so my brother and I, along with my wife, drove up to Atlanta and uh, went to get tickets to the game, and we bought tickets at the door, uh, not from people who sold them in the, at the, um, you know, in the in the box office, but from people holding tickets up to sell, uh, scalping. Uh, that might you may think that's illegal, Josh. It's been ten years; its statute of limitations is over, and we're good. And the story gets worse. So, um, so we bought bought these tickets, and we paid like maybe fifty percent more than what they actually cost. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Well, the Cubs win. Uh, They beat Atlanta. Then they're going down to play Miami, the Florida Marlins. And, you know, we didn't have the money to spend on this adventure. But listen, this could have been our year. And if the Cubs were going to win and the first time in a century, I was going to be there. I was going to be a part of it. And so we decided we're going to Miami. And we got online when the tickets became available uh, to purchase them. And uh, we noticed when you kind of fill the form out, you select how many tickets you want. And, And I could select as many as eight tickets per game. Thought, this is going to work out really well. I've got a business plan. And so, because, you know, it worked in Atlanta. So we bought a lot more tickets than we needed uh, with the idea that we would sell them when we got down there. And so my wife and I drove down to Miami uh, because we couldn't afford to fly. My brother, Jason, uh, was so confident in our business plan. He flew down and rented a convertible. He said, y'all ride with me. (laughs) We're going to be rolling the high life in Miami for the weekend. And so, so we did that. Uh, we get to the stadium, and we realize that we had some trouble. Uh, see, the Atlanta Braves play at uh, Turner Field. seats about 40,000 people. Uh, the Marlins play in Joe Robbie Stadium, their football stadium down there, which seats almost 100,000 people. And on top of that, people in Miami don't give a rip about baseball. They just don't. They don't care. And so we're out there holding our tickets up like we're going to make money, and like, people are just walking past us like, dude, what are, you, are you crazy? And so people would stop and ask us, what what we wanted for the tickets, and we would name like, you know, 100% of the value, and then we kind of dropped it down to 50% of more than what we paid for them, and then we were like, can we just get face value? Now it's like the second inning, the game has started, we're not even able to go in the game. We end up selling these tickets for $5 each in the parking lot. (laughs) Did not work out well. Uh, That was a financial, and it it took us, I purchased them, I don't know what Jason did, I purchased them on my credit card, Uh, and so it took us a few months to kind of get that thing wiped out. Thankfully, it didn't uh, ruin us financially, but it was not one of my prouder financial moments. And I've made some financial mistakes that were much more significant than that. And I've made some that uh, were less significant than that. But all of us have done stupid things from time to time with our money. And today, I I really wanna talk about the elephant in the room of the Elephant in the Room series. And that's the fact that many of us are strapped financially financially. Many of us are dealing with debt. Many of us are going to bed at night worried about money. Many of us are fighting about money. Uh, Money can be a very difficult issue for us to navigate. And and so while we talk about being generous, I, I think it would be unfair in a series on generosity for us not to stop for a weekend and really talk about this issue of debt, talk about this issue of financial pressure. And so we're gonna do that this weekend. The goal today is not to make you feel guilty. If you've walked out of here today at any of our campuses and you feel guilty, then you've not heard from the Lord. You've allowed the enemy to accuse you. Uh, The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The goal today is that maybe the Holy Spirit would bring conviction, but that we would live differently, that we would be able to kind of get a plan and walk out of here living differently. So know that uh, our, our goal today isn't to make you feel bad about your financial decisions that you made. And I'll also say this. I'm not talking to you today from a place of having figured it all out. Uh, we've got some debt, we've got student loans that we're still trying to pay off, but, but we are working towards financial freedom. We're working towards being debt free, we're focused on it. Uh, we've changed the way we, we live because we wanna get there because we don't wanna continue uh, to live with the same pressure that we have. So I'm not, I, I'm one of us. I'm not standing up here talking to you as somebody who uh, has figured it all out. I'm talking to you as somebody who wants to figure it out and wants to share what God's word says about it. Is that fair? So that's, that's kind of what we're gonna do. I wanna start off with uh, the first verse on your outline sheet. In fact, if you had a worship guide, you may want to pull out the outline sheet. There's just some notes on there that you can follow along. Uh, we'll also have the scriptures on the screen. But I want us to read this first scripture out loud together. It's Proverbs 22, 7. Let's read it together at all of our campuses. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, if you look up that word slave in the Greek, it translates to mean Slave. So I, I looked for some wiggle room there. Like maybe that's, maybe I can kind of, no, it, it means slave. So the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Most of us don't think about debt in that way. I mean, we don't, we don't walk around going, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a slave. I'm a bond servant to, you know, the, the MasterCard or whatever it is. But, but most of us think, you know, dude, I got a flat screen TV and it cost me 25 bucks a month. It's awesome. It's a great deal. You know, we don't think of ourselves as, as a slave to the lender, but but I would say that if you've ever had thoughts like uh, may, maybe you, you, you were dating somebody or you currently are, and, and and you really want to get married, and you've said, Man, I'd, I'd love to marry her, but I just can't, I can't afford a ring right now. We, I, I can't afford to make that happen. I'm, I'm a slave to my financial situation, or maybe you wake up every morning and you go into a job that you can't stand. I mean, you dread going to work every day, and there's nothing you would like more than to be able to do something different, to pursue something different, but, but the reality for you is it's just you don't have any other options. It's the only way to pay your bills, and, and, and maybe there's debt or there's pressure that's, that's uh, accumulated over the years, and, and you're a slave to your financial situation. Maybe there have been times in your life where God's called you to give towards something. You know, maybe it was to sponsor a child uh, who, a hungry child in another country, and you're going, dude, I've got three hungry kids in my own home that I'm trying to figure out how to, how to pay for. I, I, I can't do that. I wish I could, but I can't. We're saying I, I want to do something, but, but I can't do that because I'm a slave to my financial situation. If you've ever uh, wanted to give towards something, wanted to purchase something but couldn't, then it's oftentimes those statements are, 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 are really saying that we're slaves to our financial situations. We're slaves to our house Maybe we're slaves to our car, slaves to our credit card debt, or slaves to our, our college that we went to. We're slaves to these institutions that own our stuff. I want to give you some statistics on debt. As I did some research this week and uh, studied, there's some great people out there uh, in researching for this message. Uh, Dave Ramsey has incredible principles, and I'd encourage you guys all to check out uh, his stuff. Craig Rochelle did a great series at lifechurch.tv. Uh, called Strapped several, uh, a year or so ago. Got some great research and statistics there, but uh, some great resources that I, that I encourage you guys to, to check out. But in the United States, did you know that the average income in the United States for a family is $50,502? $50, $50, 50, Pretty decent, you know, average family income. The average credit card debt is $15,162. Average mortgage debt is $147,967. Average student loan debt is $33,445. So just those three uh, areas, the average in our country is that we owe about four times as much as we make in a year. That's crazy. I mean, that's unbelievable. If if we operated our church with that kind of a financial model that we owed four times our annual income, I would encourage you to go to a different church. Uh, It's just not a good way of doing business. In fact, the only people that get away with it is our government. And I don't know how well that's working out. Uh, for us, there as well. Crazy. Talk about that $15,000 credit card debt. So, average credit card debt for people who have it uh, is, is $15,162. Now, how do you get $15,000, $162 worth of debt? Uh, I would argue it's pretty easy. You can kind of drift into debt. I mean, it's summertime uh, coming up, and, and how many of you know kids can't experience childhood without going to Disney, right? I mean, it's just not fair, it wouldn't be right, and so you gotta do the Disney trip and you try to figure out. How are we going to pay for this? I didn't go to Disney as a kid. Uh, whether I've turned out all right, I don't know. But uh, so, so you do that. Maybe you spend a few thousand dollars, rack up a little bit of credit card debt there. Uh, maybe you you did go ahead and buy that ring that you couldn't afford, and then, then you went ahead and paid for a wedding uh, that you couldn't afford. And quickly, $15,000 in debt. Christmas comes. Birthdays come. We're trying to kind of do... Something, we want our kids to have a great Christmas or a great birthday, and, and so we, we go a little f- further than we should, and, and we start accumulating debt. It's, it's not that difficult to wind up with $15,000 in credit card debt. Well I want to show you what happens with that $15,000. Let's say uh, you've got that debt, and you, you're making the minimum payments on that credit card debt, and your interest rate is 18%, you know, which is about average. You can get it for less, sometimes more, depending on on your credit. And and so you're paying that off at 18% interest. How long do you think it would take you to pay off that $15,000? Any guesses? 45 years, long time. According to my math, 53 years, and it would cost you $56,563 to pay off that $15,000. Some of you, that just made you feel sick to your stomach, but that's, that's the reality. You know, college students who graduate or high school, all of a sudden you've got these great people that care a lot about you and they, I want to let you borrow $2,500. That's why they care so much about you because they make their money on that. It's the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's average. A lot of you guys are above average. Uh, and, uh, I'm not, you know, that was supposed to be a joke. I'm not sure if it was funny. <laughs> Things are a little tense at Long Point. I don't know how it is at the other campuses, but <clears throat> I told you uh, the average... Student loan, as someone graduates from a four-year college, $33,000 is what they're in the hole coming out of a four-year college. Uh, 55% of U.S. households are living paycheck to paycheck. In other words, if if you lost your job this month, within a month, you would be struggling to pay your your mortgage, your bills that are due, utilities, whatever it is, car payments, within a month, because 55%, over half of America, lives paycheck to paycheck, See, it's no surprise that the number one issue that married couples fight about tends to be money. You know, it would probably be more accurate for me, as I do weddings with young couples, to stand up at the altar and say, "Would you commit to stay together until debt do you part?" Because the reality is, is that often it's debt that drives couples apart. You know financial pressure and divorce go hand in hand, they, 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 they really do. Normal is debt. Normal in this country is car payments. Normal is fighting about money. Normal is credit card bills. Normal is laying awake at night, stressed out because of financial pressure. That's normal. Well, I want to encourage you, Cico, so that we, we, if you're a Christ follower, God hasn't called you to be normal. You know, we're called not to live normal lives. Perhaps there's another way of doing things. Perhaps even in our time together, some of us could get a vision to live an abnormal life, to, 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 to do something differently. And I'm not talking about an overnight quick fix, let's, you know, win the lottery. Typically, that makes you worse off than you were before. I'm talking about changing the way that we think, changing the way that we live, and, and being committed to live an abnormal life. Give you a couple of temptations so that all Christ followers are going to be tempted as, as it relates to money. If you have your outline sheets, you can follow along. The first one is this. We're tempted to serve money. We're all going to be tempted to serve money. Matthew six twenty four. It's the next verse on your outline sheet. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We read that verse last week. And Jesus is saying, hey, you cannot serve both God and money. It's not possible. And we read in Proverbs that the borrower is slave, servant to the master. And so we're all going to be tempted to, to become servants of money. And, and many of you would say, well, I would never serve money, Josh. I mean, that's crazy. Why would I serve money? But if you've ever bought something that you didn't really need with money you didn't really have in order to impress people that you didn't even really like, th- then you probably have served money in the past. If you've ever been tempted to, to hoard money, you know, to kind of keep it all close and, and, and hold it with a really tight fist because it represents security to you, then you're probably serving money. I did some research this week on the storage unit industry. Did you know that storage units th- th- as an industry didn't even exist in the 60s? It's a relatively new phenomena and something around 92% of the storage uh, industries worldwide are in the United States. So it's kind of a, a U.S. deal. We, we, we love... Storage units, today, uh, the average revenue uh, for for storage units is $22 billion a year. One in 10 families owns a storage unit, and it's the fastest growing commercial real estate entity over the last 35 years. Storage units, we love to hang on to our junk. You know, we love to hoard our stuff. And I'm not saying that if you have a storage unit, it's because you do that. But often, uh, because I have one, and I'm trying to feel better about that, uh, (laughs) because we're just full disclosure, all right? Uh, we're, we're hoping to, to move into a different house, and, and I actually, because we're having a baby in July, went, ran over and got our crib and stuff. But the reality is we do. I mean, I, we, we, we like our stuff. We have a hard time parting ways with our stuff. So if you've ever been tempted to hoard things, then, then you might be tempted to serve money. You know, if, if you've ever neglected your family in pursuit of some corporate ladder where you've neglected your kids and you've not spent time with them and you've, you've, you've focused so much on trying to support them and, and provide a, a household for them that they would love when all they really care about is, is spending time with their mom or their dad, then you may be serving money in that regard. All of us are going to be tempted to serve money. Second temptation that we're all going to have, we're going to be tempted to love money. We're going to be tempted to love money. 1 Timothy 6.10 it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, have I heard testimonies about that. Where the love of money causes you to wander from the faith and pierce yourself with many griefs. You know, uh, this is probably one of the most misquoted scriptures uh, in the Bible. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that money is evil. Money is not evil. Money's not good. Money's not bad. Money's neutral. Uh, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evils. It's, it's when we, we go beyond just seeing money as a resource, as a tool that we need that will help us uh, accomplish things in life, and we, we begin to have this desire, this love affair with money. You know, we start thinking, you know, man, if I just had more, maybe, maybe this would, my life would be better, whatever it might be. We, we start being critical of other people when we find out that they've had a windfall or that they've made substantial money, you we become consumed with loving more. It might be a, a clue that you're loving money. And, and don't, don't be mistaken about this. It's not, a, it's not a matter of how much you have. Uh, it's not a matter of, you know, poor people don't love money and rich people love money. I know there are many poor people, people who don't have money, but, man, they are consumed with getting more. They're, all they can think about is, is making it. Go go to the gas station after church in any of our campuses and look at the line of people buying, you know, lottery tickets who, who may be poor, but they're thinking, man, I'd love to strike it rich one day. And and on, on the same hand, I've, I've known many rich people who some do love money, but I've known a lot of rich people that don't love money. They're just good at making money. You know, that money doesn't have them, they have money, and they've recognized an ability to to make it, and, um, and, and, and they've done a good job with that. But it doesn't mean necessarily that they love money. It's not about how much you have. It's about how you hold what you have and how you think about what you don't have that may be an indication that you love money. See, if you're rich, or, uh, money tends to be a magnifier, right? I mean, you become more of what you already are. If you're a poor jerk and you make a lot of money, you're probably gonna end up being a rich jerk, right? A jerk to more people. And if you don't have a lot of money, but you're generous, then when you get more money, you're probably going to become even more generous. That's why I think it'd be very dangerous for you to interpret this weekend's message as saying, well, one day I'm going to hit a certain threshold. I'm going to get out of debt, then I'm going to start being generous, or I'm going I'm to get this much margin, and it's probably not going to happen. Statistics say that, that the more money you have, the less you give, the less percentage-wise that you give. And so if you have a little bit uh, and you're generous and you get more, you'll be even more generous. It's a principle in God's word. Luke 16 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So the love of money can get us in trouble. And if I were to ask Seacoast, hey, do you love money? Many of you would probably say, no, Josh, I don't love them. I mean, Scripture says we shouldn't love money. I, I, mean, I like money. Money's my friend. I'd like to have more friends. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of money, but I don't, I don't love money, right? You know, and, and, and the truth is, though, I asked you guys a question at the beginning of this message. Uh, I said, how many of you think a little bit more money might be helpful, make you have a, a better life? And a lot of hands went up. I want to read you a scripture. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. It says, whoever does what? Whoever loves money... Never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, based on the number of you that raised your hands at the beginning of the message, you may have admitted that you, you love money. Turn to your neighbor and say, He gotcha. <laughs> no, the reality is that all of us are going to be tempted to, 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 get, to give money a position that it doesn't need to have in our lives. In some way or another, most of us are living under the power of money and we don't even know it. And and, and I don't think it's always an income problem, especially where we live, you know, uh, in, in the United States of America. It's usually not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue. It's a spending issue. We're we're lifestyling our way into bondage, into slavery, because we've got this desire to have more. We've got this desire to live at a level that we, we shouldn't be. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses and we end up pursuing the things of this world and I think the problem is not so much a financial problem as much as it is a heart issue. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. See I believe that many of us are looking for meaning and things and stuff, stuff of this world when really meaning is going to come in a relationship with Jesus and so I believe that this is a heart issue and I believe that it's a discipleship issue. And My prayer as I've been preparing for this message, my prayer is that many of us this weekend at Seacoast would have a Kairos moment. What's a Kairos moment? A Kairos moment is where where God just intersects our lives and he communicates something. He he says something to it. He almost like stops us in our tracks. And, And I'm praying that for many of us, as it relates to debt and how we handle our finances, that this weekend would be a Kairos moment, that we would get so sick of living the way that we live. We would get so sick of being normal we'd stop kind of envisioning the rest of our lives as we're just gonna have debt for the rest of our lives. And we would get intentional. We'd have a change of heart. We'd repent and we'd go, I wanna live differently. I wanna do this differently. I wanna honor God with my finances. That's my prayer for us this weekend. What's a biblical approach to our money? I I wanna share this this, uh, biblical perspective on money. We don't serve money, we serve God. Would you say that with me? We don't serve money, we serve God. Remember, you can't serve two masters. If you're a believer, we don't serve money, we serve God. We don't serve money, we serve God. Money serves us as we serve God. We don't serve money, we serve God. You can't serve two masters. Money serves us as we serve God. What do I mean by that? How does money serve us? Money serves us in a lot of different ways. Uh, money buys us time. You know, if you have money, It can buy you time. I spoke last week uh, at uh, First Baptist, one of their commencement ceremonies for my alma mater. It was an incredible honor, uh, privilege. I graduated from there in 1997, went back down there and spoke after church last week uh, at their service. And uh, money saved me time. I actually got into a car that I I paid for and I drove down there. If I didn't have that car, I would have had to walk. It would probably take about two hours to get downtown from my house. It took me about 15 minutes. I saved about an hour and 45 minutes on either side so I could spend time with my family. You're like, dude, that's a silly example. Well, it's, it's true. Money can buy us time. Some of you have had obligations to go somewhere. I know I've had to go speak at different events from time to time, and, and because I've got money to pay for an airplane ticket, it can save me days uh, by, by doing that rather than driving. I mean, money can save us time. Some of you, you may be debt-free, you may be uh, living in a good position financially, and you may spend money to, to hire somebody to clean your house, uh, and it'll be a blessing to them, and it saves you several hours that you can then serve God. You can go do, you know, serve in the community. You can do whatever you want to do with those hours that you save. Money buys us time. What else does it buy us? It buys us options. Money buys us options. Let's say you want to go on vacation. If you don't have any money, if you don't have any margin, the chances are you're going to have a hard time even getting off of work to do a vacation. But if you have a little bit more money, maybe you could do a staycation. You know, you could, do, you could take some time off and hang out at home. If you have a little bit more money than that, you've got more options. Maybe you could drive up to Myrtle Beach or maybe you want to drive to Asheville and enjoy the mountains. Go check out our Asheville campus while you're up there. You've got options. You can do a little bit more. If you've got a large pot of money, then you can, You got more options. You can spin the globe and pick a place and go do that for vacation. Money buys us options. But remember, money serves us as we serve God. So it's about serving God. This is this message isn't about hey, let's do everything we can to get debt free so that we can live as lavish of a life as we can. No, that's the same problem that got us into debt in the first place, so that we can be we can honor God with our finances. Money can give us options in how we serve God. I was talking to a friend this week about this and he told me he was at the pharmacy the other day getting medicine, and the woman in front of him in line uh, got her bill, and it was like 100 bucks or 120 bucks to, to pay for her medicine, and she was freaking out. She was like, no, my doctor said it wasn't gonna cost this much, and can you, can you check? And the pharmacist was trying to work with her, and he said God told him in that moment, you need to pay that bill. And so he took out $100, and he paid that bill because he had money. That money bought him options to be able to, to be sensitive to what God might be doing. Many of us wouldn't have that option going, hey, I'd love to, to pay somebody's $100 bill. There are some people in this church that have been so generous, and God's blessed them financially. They've had options when they've heard stories like Haiti last week, uh, and they find out that, man, there are other communities that need water, and, and there are kids that are dying. There are newborns that are dying of, of these waterborne illnesses, and there are entire communities that have um, you know, cholera is just ravaging them. Uh, ra- ra- uh, wreaking havoc on them. And so they've gone, hey, I, how much does it cost? $25,000, $50,000 to do it. I'd like to do that in a community. And, and so money, a margin, living wisely financially has given them the options to serve God in, in some ways or another. You may hear about stuff that's happening, ministry that's happening at Seacoast and go, man, I'd like to, I'd like to get involved in that. I'd, I'd like to partner in that. And having financial freedom gives you the option to be a part of that, to, to, to serve God in whatever way that he's led you to be a part of it. See, we'll never be as generous as God has called us to be if we continue to live our lives in bondage to money. I love the way Dave Ramsey said it. He says, if we need to live like no one else so that one day we can live like no one else. You know, and, and I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but people who are trying to get their finances under control, they're not normal. Uh, they're a little bit different. They don't always spend money on the same things everybody else does. They, they live differently. But we've got to learn to be willing to live like no one else now so that one day we can live, and I would say give, like no one else. We can be generous in whatever way God has called us to be. So very quickly, I want to give you guys uh, a, a quick three steps to financial freedom. You're like, dude, really? Three steps to financial freedom? I promise you it's simple, but it's not easy. And I can also promise you I can't go into the level of detail that I would need to uh, if I were sitting down with you one-on-one, first of all, I'm not a financial um, advisor. I'm not, I'm not a, an expert on this subject, but I know God's word gives us some principles. So I wanna give you three simple steps that aren't easy uh, to kind of get us going. And then every one of our campuses, we're gonna have an opportunity. If you're here today and you go, man, this is, this is something God's speaking to me about. I need to take some steps in this area. We're gonna give you a workshop. We're gonna give you some resources uh, that we wanna invite you to to kind of get things moving in the right direction. But the first thing is this. First thing we have to do if you want to take steps to financial freedom is stop the bleeding. Stop the bleeding. I went on this trip to Haiti a couple of weeks ago, and our flight left at six in the morning. So at four o'clock in the morning, I was loading my, my car up, and there were some batteries in the trunk, and I, so I had to move them. And uh, so I sat them down on the driveway so that my pregnant wife could deal with them later. Uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I, moved. I started to do that because I was in a hurry, but then I moved them uh, so she wouldn't have to mess with them. But as I was moving them, uh, one of them just kind of caught me, a car battery caught me on the wrist. I didn't think much of it. It kind of hurt. but uh, So I get in the car and I'm driving and all of a sudden I feel like drips of what I thought was water dripping down my arm and onto my clothes. And so I turned the light on and I had blood everywhere, blood running down my arm, blood on my, my clothes. So I grabbed some of my kids' clothes and you know, I stopped the bleeding, right? <laughs> Whatever it takes, you got to stop the bleeding. If you're an EMT or if you're a doctor, uh, and, and you know that if there's an open wound, you got to figure out how we're how we going to stop and curb the bleeding. And the same thing is true with us and our finances. And the key word here is going to be self control. You may want to write that out. It's going to take self control. My three year old daughter, about two dozen times a day, she decides that she wants something that she can't have. That's just kind of a part of her reality right now. This morning it happened before church, getting ready for breakfast. She decided she wanted a piece of candy. I said, babe, no, you can't have candy. And so what did she do? She starts to kind of go into this temper tantrum. And we've been working with her, though, on getting self-control. And she's gotten a lot better at it. Now she'll start to kind of lose it. And I'll go, Greta, Kate, fold your hands and get some self-control. And so she'll fold her hands and she'll start to take some breaths and she'll kind of get some self-control. And the truth is, if we're going to stop the bleeding, we're going to need to learn to fold our hands and self-control, get some self-control. Ladies. You're walking down on King Street, downtown Charleston, right? Uh, You walk past a shoe store. There's a sale going on at a shoe store. I mean, how do you not do that? How do you not engage as you're saving hundreds of dollars sometimes? You're calling going, there's an incredible, I can save you. No, you're not saving. You're spending money. You're spending money. And if you're trying to get debt free, if you're trying to live with some self-control, we've got to learn to go, okay. I want that, but I'm going to live like no one else right now so that one day I can live like no one else. If you've got margin, I believe the Bible has plenty of room for us to be able to enjoy our lives. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a new pair of shoes, but if you're going into debt for those shoes, you shouldn't buy them. If you're trying to get out of debt, you should probably be wise about how you're spending your money and getting yourself out of debt. Guys, before we get too high and mighty here... Uh, the women, you know, you guys tend to, to nickel and dime on shoes or clothes and necklace. Guys, we just go big or go home. Like, you see a boat. Like, I want that boat, man. I'm getting that boat. I'm going to put. I see a truck. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times in premarital counseling I'll talk about debt. Do you guys have any debt? No, we're, we're good. Maybe a little bit of student loans. And then it's like, well, I mean, the truck. But, I mean, you got to have a car, right? And it's like, yeah, but you don't have to have that truck. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so we got to learn to fold our hands and have self-control. Uh, if if you're not in a position to do it we've got to stop the bleeding and for some of us today the most spiritual thing that you can do in response to this message is to cut up a credit card or sell a car maybe even sell a house because you've got to stop the bleeding and oftentimes it takes something drastic in order to make that happen second thing act your wage act your wage say that with me <laughs> act your wage We've got to learn to act our wage. This is something that, man, I'm telling you what, I struggled with young couples. I don't know what it is. We get married and we just think we should be driving a BMW, right? I mean, it's like we feel like we should be living at the same level that our parents lived at, that they worked 20, 30 years to get there. We've got to learn to act our wage. You know, there's a rule. My grandparents, my mom's parents, both of them just passed away. Uh, My grandfather a couple of years ago, my grandmother this year. And uh, there's a rule that they lived by uh, growing up, and I don't know if it's because of the Great Depression or what, but there's a financial rule that they lived by. And I'm going to admit, it's a little bit old school. And some of you are going to be like, what? What do you mean when I tell you? But this is the rule that they lived by. It goes like this. If you don't have the money to buy something that you want, you're not allowed to buy it. (laughs) That just blew some of your minds. What? (laughs) What? What do you mean, Josh? If you don't have the money to buy something that you want, you don't buy it. My, my grandparents lived by that rule. They probably uh, lived a little bit too far on the other side of the pendulum. I mean, they didn't spend money on anything. Uh, but the truth is, when they died, their, their uh, financial situation was a blessing to their kids. It wasn't a burden. And they, they had their, their house in order. They had their funeral paid for. They, they were able to, to set themselves up because they lived by this basic... Principle. In fact, I wanted to illustrate it differently. Uh, We did a video a few years ago that I think it's worth throwing back up on the screen because it illustrates this really well. So take a look at this, this clip.
1: I just can't get these numbers to add up.
2: It's like we're never going to get out of this hole.
1: Credit card debt, does it ever end?
2: Maybe I can help. We sure could use it.
1: We've tried debt consolidation companies.
2: We've even taken out loans to help make our payments. Well, you're not alone. Did you know millions of American families struggle with debt they cannot control? That's why I've created this unique new system designed to manage your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford.
1: Let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Sounds interesting.
2: Sounds confusing. Oh,
1: Wait, honey. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive
2: things using money you've saved let me see that and where do you get this saved money i tell you where and how in chapter three
1: okay what if you want something but you don't have any money
2: you shouldn't buy it well let's say i don't have enough money should i buy it anyway no no i'm really confused it's a little confusing at first
1: okay what if i have the money can i buy something yes Now take the money away. Same story?
2: Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff if you don't have the money. I think I've got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. First you get the money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't I buy it before I have the money? Nope. Why not? It's all in the book. It's only one page long. The advice is priceless, and the book is free.
1: (laughs) Now I like the sound of that. Yeah,
2: we can put it on our credit card. So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive, seriously, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. Order today. Strong, huh?
0: We've got to act our wage. Let's stop being posers. Let's stop trying to be something that we're not. Come on, let's be on. We live in Mount Pleasant. This is an issue that, uh, that here at this campus, and I know it's probably similar up in Columbia and Greenville. Uh, we're, we're just tempted to, to live at a level that we're really not there. And so let's just be real with ourselves. The key word in this one, and you may want to write it down, is sacrifice. Sacrifice. It's, it's living differently right now so that one day we can live differently. It's, it's not that we'd, we're never going to do it. It's going for a season I'm going to sacrifice the things that I want for a greater purpose so that I can give, so that I can, I can one day live free from this worry and this financial stress. Last thing, get a plan and work it. Get a plan and work it. You know, you can wander your way into debt, but you can't wander your way out of it. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take discipline. That's the word for this point, discipline. It's getting a plan and working it. Look at Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. It says, Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, Plan carefully, and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. A financial plan. What's that word that we all hate? Budget. You know, I know when I was growing up, uh, or getting married, Pastor Sam Leske up at the Dream Center made me sit down and do a budget with, with Lisa. And I was so worried about it. I was stressed out about it. I didn't want to do it. And, and I'm so thankful that he started then kind of helping us get disciplined in this area of finances. You, you may feel like it's, a, it's just a restrictive word. You know, it, it, it means it's all about what I can't do. But the truth is, remember, we don't serve money. We serve God. And when we set a budget, when we set a spending plan, what we're doing is we're, we're telling our money what to do. And if we don't do that, then our money will tell us what we can or can't do. And we then become the servant of money. Remember, who's in charge? Who's, who's, who's in charge? We are. Our money serves us. And I don't have time to, to go into all the, the, the details here. But we want to resource you. We want to resource you with, uh, with, with just some wisdom financially. We're, we're going to have, I know at this campus, uh, there's going to be a meeting next week on Sunday, that we want as many people as possible to be a part of, and all of the campuses are gonna do stuff to resource us in this area because it's, 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 it starts with repentance. I mean, I really do believe that it's our hearts that got us in trouble, and it's our heart change that's gonna get us out of trouble. Don't just think that you can walk out of here going, well, let me just, you know, get on a new financial plan. If you don't change your heart, then it's gonna lead you to the same things. And so it needs to start with that Kairos moment. And I just think, man, what if, what if Seacoast, decided to be debt-free. I mean, can you imagine your life, how it would be different in the next five to seven years, maybe 10 years, if you just got on a plan right now and you started working that plan and one day you, you were debt-free. Can you imagine what your life would look like without the payments, the car payments? Some of you may even, God may even talk, be talking to you today about being uh, house payment-free. I mean, can you imagine what that might look like to live a life that's debt-free? And then I think about our church I think about the tens of thousands of people, what, what, what we could do in our community, what we could do in the world, how it might change the world if we lived debt-free, if we weren't in bondage to money, if we could be generous in whatever way that God called us to, I believe that it could change the world. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I just thank you. I thank you that your word is practical. I thank you that your word gives us wisdom on the things that we stress about every day of our lives. Lord, especially as it relates to finances. God, I just I know uh, that in this church there are so many of us that financial pressure has been a source of discouragement. There have been mistakes that have made at high levels, and, and it's been a source of condemnation. Lord, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. And I thank you that today you haven't brought us here to make us feel guilty, but you've brought us here, Lord, because you want to bring about change. You want to give us a vision for a different way of living. And so, God, I pray for everyone in this house that's struggling financially, everyone in this house that's struggling with debt. I pray, Lord, that today would be a line in the sand. Today would be a defining moment, a Kairos moment, and that we would choose today to live differently. Lord, we're sick of being in bondage. We're sick of serving uh, anyone other than you. So I pray, Lord, that all over this place, you would just break chains, bring about heart change that would happen, that would, that would then bring about financial change in our lives. Pray that you would uh, just show up in a miraculous way in our finances. We thank you for it. God, I pray for those that are in the house that have, have done well in this area, have lived wisely in this area maybe are in a position where they're debt-free or they've got margin in their finances, God. And I just pray for, for those of us in that, sh- that, that situation that you, God, would uh, show us what to do with that freedom. Lord, don't allow us to buy into the mindset that we, we've gotten out of debt so that we could just live a more lavish life. Lord, that we would enjoy our things, but we would also have a vision to be generous. Lord, to take it to the next level of being generous in whatever way that you've called us to. For all of us, God, we need you. We need uh, your spirit to guide us and to lead us, and we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.